Our very existence depends on this. This black strength. Strength that has carried us for decades, but is undermining an important aspect of our humanity and feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses, our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to another episode of the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Black Doctor Speak is your source for vetted, accurate information on African-American health from some of the nation's top doctors and is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project. Our guest today is Dr. Shonda Nicole Holsley, health service consultant and founder of Healthy Aims for Little Ones and Families. And we'll be discussing pregnancy and infant loss. I'm Jason James, executive producer, and I'm joined by our esteemed host, Dr. Michael Lenore, a physician, medical reporter, and a past president of the National Medical Association. Dr. Lenore, what's the latest in medicine? Well, Jason, there's a lot going on nationally. There seems to be a controversy between our president and the administration and our scientists. The president says we're rounding the bend. I don't know what bend he's looking at, but as you look at the national statistics, it does appear that the virus is spreading. It's spreading to many of the Midwestern states, and that can be measured by number of outpatient positive cases, by number of cases hospitalized. So I don't think we're anywhere near the end of this pandemic and won't be until the American people commit to social distancing, to wearing a mask, and to taking the other precautions recommended by our scientists. And on the scientific front, the Center for Disease Control and a new guidance has expanded the definition of COVID-19 close contact. The previous definition said that this close contact was being within six feet of an infected person for 15 consecutive minutes. The new guidelines suggest that it's being within close contact of a person within six feet of an individual for 15 or more cumulative minutes during a 24-hour period. This new definition takes into account briefer but repeated encounters with an infected person. And certainly nobody's going to any large gatherings or to any unknown places for Halloween, and unfortunately for the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays, family gatherings need to be probably less frequent, unfortunately, and smaller in number. And on the vaccine front, at least one of the COVID-19 vaccines should be available as soon as at the end of the year. And the general public should be able to get vaccinated by early spring, not by January or February. The director of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Dr. Azar, says there's hope on the way in the form of a safe and effective vaccine in a matter of weeks and months. But the distribution issue is the issue we're talking about. Uh, they expect by the end of the year enough vaccine that is FDA authorized to be able to vaccinate the most vulnerable individuals, all seniors as well as healthcare workers and first responders. So when it's released to the public, so many scientists will have looked at it for safety and efficacy. I, for one, will be one of those people who gets the vaccine early because I believe the only way for any semblance of normality is to be vaccinated. I know there are others listening to our program who have a different view, and I think that's certainly you're entitled to that without question. But please be sure you read all the information about why a vaccine is so critical under these particular circumstances. And finally, Jason, it's hard to imagine there's a part of the human body 
that's gone unnoticed by doctors after centuries of medical research. But that's exactly what happened when a group of scientists in the Netherlands say they've discovered a pair of previously overlooked glands that are hidden away in our skulls where the nasal cavity and the throat meet. It said they came across this body part, which they proposed naming to burial glands during a scan designed to look for tumorous growths. The scientists then looked at the scans of the head and neck of 100 individuals they were treating for prostate cancer and dissecting cadavers, one male and one female. They all had a set. This discovery is interesting. And nobody thought it was possible to discover a new body part. You can't see the glands on CT scans and other things, and nobody knows exactly what these glands do. Uh, but they're salivary glands, and they're there. So we'll see in the future what happens. Uh, maybe I'll start looking around myself. Maybe I'll find another organ, but it's not likely. Let's switch gears now and talk about a more serious subject, pregnancy and infant loss with Dr. Shonda Hosley. October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Remembrance Month. It was established to pay tribute to the many bereaved families worldwide who experienced the loss of a pregnancy, a newborn, or an infant. Our special guest today is Dr. Shonda Nicole Holsley. She has a long career in public health. She served as a consultant to the American Lung Association, the National Medical Association, and the American Public Health Association. But, but more importantly, she herself has suffered the loss of an infant prior to delivery. And she's willing to share her story and her experience with us. Thank you for having me, Dr. Lenore. So this happened about uh, 13 years ago. Um, I was pregnant with my son, and um, I was not advanced maternal age. I was educated. I had my own home. I pre prepared a room for him and everything, and I knew to get prenatal visits. I knew to eat healthy, but um, I still uh, lost my son. I was um, attending some of my regular prenatal visits. And I was diagnosed with preeclampsia, hypertension in pregnancy. And I didn't have a history of hypertension or anything, so that was a shock to me. But um, I began to see a specialist and was watched frequently, you know, to make sure the pregnancy was going as expected. What, one day what happened was um, one of the nurses was doing my, my son's head, head, head circumference measurements. And she was um, very alarmed and told me that my my son was uh, severely underdeveloped and he wasn't um, developing like he should. And it was because my placenta um, was not supplying the nutrients that he needed. And so, of course, I was I was worried about that. But I just I had faith and um, just continued to go to those those regular visits. And then. What happened was I got a headache and I went to the doctor. They took my blood pressure and it was probably like 200 and something over 100 something. So I, I literally was in stroke zone. They admitted me to the hospital and I just thought that I would be there a couple of days or whatnot for observation, but I ended up being there for four days. And every day they would check Cameron's 
heartbeat. You know, they put the belt around me and find his heartbeat. And that would actually give me some comfort to know that, you know, he was there. And, um, but on August the 4th of, of 2005, they checked for his uh, heartbeat and the nurse couldn't find it. So she called my OB and my OB couldn't find it either. And so it was at that time that um, she pronounced him, um, you know, he had passed away. And part of what happened was my preeclampsia, I developed something called HELP syndrome, which I think only about 20% or less or less than people get that. And um, I had to have a blood, uh, heart, uh, I'm sorry, I had to have a platelet transfusion and I was just getting sicker and sicker the more that camera was inside of me, but I was trying to to, to let him stay there until he was about 28 weeks because we know that the chances of him surviving after 28 weeks was more significant. So I did that. Um, he actually made it to his 28th week, but that that was, that was it. Um, he just, he didn't make it. He didn't survive. What were, what were your feelings um, after that for the next few days, the next few weeks? Do you uh, I all of those emotions. I was I was there. I was shocked because I couldn't understand why um, my child didn't survive, especially when especially when I had prepared so much for him and I wanted him. Um, I really wanted my son. Um, I was depressed. I actually wanted to give my life for his. Um, at one point, I I didn't even want to go on, um, and I I just couldn't believe it. Um, but what happened was one of my mentors from Emory University, um, Dr. Joyce Essien, she found out what happened and she connected me with a reverend who was also a, a counselor, uh, nurse uh, Dodge Green Pastors, who saw me at no cost for a year. <laughs> I did counseling with her for an entire year and she helped me to work on some other, I had some other issues going on too. So I, I was able to work through some personal issues as, as well as the grief. And that was, um, that was really helpful. That, that helped, helped me to get up, get past some of the severe grief. Now, if you don't mind sharing with us, you know, most people think, I think that, uh, and maybe I'm wrong about this, that if you have a, if your baby dies before the baby's born, there's not that same attachment uh, that you would have if the baby died during the delivery or in the first month of the first year of life. But I don't hear that coming from you. No, you don't. And that's because I actually, one of the things that I, I did not mention was I had to birth my baby vaginally when I knew that my child was not alive. And so I still went through that entire birthing process. Uh, I, I still remember his flutters, his kicks. I still, you know, I just fell in love with, with this being that I did not know. I actually got a chance to hold him. And so I think, I think what it could be is sometimes when people have miscarriages, they may think, oh, you know, that's not so severe. 
But I actually had to birth a baby that I knew was dead. And um, that was just traumatic, and I did develop a bond with him. Um, what were some of the tools that you got from those who attempted to assist you get through this transition period that uh, made it possible for you to move forward? One of the things that I've, I learned was, um, and this this kind of brings into, like, my background. I, was, I wasn't raised by my birth mom, so I've always had, like, some abandonment issues that I've had to deal with. And um, being pregnant with Cameron was almost like part of the corrective experience that I wanted to, to go through. So I was really looking forward to being his mother. But um, one of the things that Dr. Adaj Greenpastors taught me was that, you know, I did not fail him. Um, I was the best mom that I could be to him. So I learned to accept that. And find more on on God and um, knowing that, you know, things happen, disappointments happen in life, but we we get the strength to to push through and um, experience other happier experiences in life. Um, I also think the relationship that I was in was not the best. And so sometimes I think about it as if if Cameron was alive, you know, I would have been attached to that individual for the rest of my life. And so in a way, you know, I look at it as I was being protected from something that could have been possibly worse. You know, I don't know. But I think the tools are just knowing that sometimes bad things happen, learning how to be resilient, and um, being available to other people, and if they're going through certain things, you know, being that support for them. So knowing that it's not all about me, that the experience could have happened in order for me to help others as well. I lost a daughter. I was a little angry uh, through the whole process. Uh, she was in college and a freshman and had been very successful. And um, I realized that uh, that other people didn't lose children, uh, and that uh, I wondered why it happened uh, to me. In addition, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I recognize that I did not take the time to grieve that I had, and some of them have never, have never grieved the process. What are some of the things that you remember about getting through that grieving process, and how should women collect resources um, to help them through? I think for me, I was in a unique position because, like I said, I, I was not in a relationship anymore. So I did not have to focus on another adult. I was able to just focus clearly on me. And that's really what I needed. So I, like I mentioned, I went through one entire year of counseling with uh, Reverend Adash, and I actually took some antidepressants, Wellbutrin, and um and I read a lot and I meditated and I had a very good female tribe that was there for me and they supported me. So I think I think not having to um share my time with another person and to I was able to be completely selfish <laughs> and really focus on Shonda Nicole. 
and it just helped me to put a lot of things in perspective. I wrote a I wrote an article about it, and one of the things that I said were the things that I used to think that were so important, they weren't important so much anymore. And the way that I would think um, people felt about me and that would impact me, I didn't care about it as much anymore because I knew that I was important. So I think that uh, I didn't go to a support group or anything, but I do think that those support groups exist. Uh, I think that if, you know, if women incur a pregnancy loss, there are a lot of different support groups now, um, Facebook groups, groups in the hospital, definitely counseling, religious support, friendships, family. And my mom was there for me, my sister. I, my mom lived in California. I lived in Atlanta, so we always had the distance, but she, she's always been there. So there's just an array of things. I think we, as, as African American women, we do so much. We care for so many. And sometimes it's time, we, we just have to put ourselves, uh, first. And so that's, that's what I was able to do at that time in my life. Yeah, you know, I heard that, uh, it's difficult, I think, for some people to change, obviously. Uh, for me, I would suggest grief counseling. Uh, many times I had to counsel the grief counselor because it was such a tragic situation. And then uh, there were suggestions on meditation and yoga, Tai Chi and things like that, and it just wasn't me. Uh, plus, yeah. I had additional children, like you said, which meant I did not really have the time to stop and grieve the process uh, appropriately. But I do think that I have suffered some for that, and I certainly would suggest that some of the things that you mentioned are really important. Since we're on this subject, Mr. Um, Hosey, you know, we, we still have a problem in the African-American community with an excessive amount of infant mortality, of prematurity, neonatal um, deaths, and what are the things that increase the likelihood that you will have a healthy baby from the time you find out you're pregnant uh, through the delivery? Well, some of the things that we can do as women to increase um, a better pregnancy outcome are just take better care of ourselves to begin with. One of the main things is, is uh, having a, a healthy weight. Um, many, you know, we suffer from obesity as a society. And so if, if a person knows that they want to get pregnant and have a healthy baby, one of the things that they can do is start with make sure they're, they're at a healthy weight. Oftentimes, uh, African and black women have higher rates of the risk factors that are associated with poor birth outcomes, like um, diabetes or tobacco use. I've already mentioned obesity. So not doing some of those things. Um, one of the other issues that we have are we, we're in a, some, many of us are at a lower socioeconomic status. And sometimes we can't do much about that, but there are programs available to help us, to help those that are lower socioeconomic rates have access to better care, to uh, get uh, food subsidies if we need it, WIC programs, things like that. So there, there are some things that we can do when we are planning to get pregnant to make sure we're healthy, make sure we have a healthy environment and healthy um nutrition available for our, our uh, unborn child, we can do that in advance. 
What about exercise during pregnancy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one has to talk to their gynecologist obstetrician to see, you know, what they can do and how long they can do it and if they're at risk and, and things like that. But um, I actually, I, I now have two live daughters <laughs> and I exercise with both of them. But I know, you know, doctors uh, say we can, you can walk, swim, things like that, low impact exercises. That's absolutely wonderful to do. Now, you've had experience since that time uh, in supporting people through these kinds of issues. What are the, some of the things that women should not do during pregnancy? Like I said, they shouldn't, shouldn't definitely shouldn't smoke. That's not good for a pregnancy. Um, drink alcohol and try to keep, try to maintain their stress levels. Um, and we talked about some of those things, like whatever a person can do to keep their stress level down. I know that it can be difficult though, because as women, especially as African American women, like I mentioned, we tend to have a lot of different balls juggling and there's a lot on us. But we have to do what we can to ensure that we have self-care. And especially if a person is pregnant, um, maybe like you mentioned, meditate, talk to your, talk to your circle of friends, uh, read, do things to kind of keep you calm to ensure that you have a, you know, to do what you can do to, to have a, a good pregnancy outcome. Some things are in our control, and some things are not. Yeah, one of the things that um, we stress in Black Doctors Speak is taking charge of your own health system. What are some of the factors that women should take into consideration as, as they select a doctor uh, to deal with their pregnancy or a health care system? Today we hear a lot about um, health care providers and implicit bias and systemic racism those type of things that impact maternal health care. And sometimes we don't have we don't have the opportunity to to research to have access to physicians who may um be well versed in some of those things that we need to ensure that they can better care for African Americans. But if we do, uh, it, it would be good to choose a, a provider of color if we if we had that luxury. Um, we could get referrals from trusted friends in our, a lot of us are members of civic organizations, sororities, Jack and Jill and things like that. And so other, other moms have had children and we could go to them for, um, their advice or referrals. Um, I think there are different mechanisms online where you can read about physicians and how they treat their patients. So definitely now, especially, I mean, I had my, my stillbirth was, what, 15 years ago. So now there are a lot more resources where we can research physicians and ensure that they're going to meet our needs. Uh, there's a lot of consumer information out there available to us to, to ensure that we can um, access a physician or healthcare provider that will ensure that they do the best to, to um, help us have a, a positive pregnancy outcome and they care about the African-American patient or the patient of color. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Hosley. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing our story. I, I would say that I was remiss. I didn't realize there was a World Pregnancy and Infant Loss Remembrance Day. And I think that your story certainly supports a lot of women who have been through the same thing that you've been through. Uh, sometimes uh, dealing with it alone and not recognizing that the feelings that they had of connection and loss are feelings that were shared by other women. Support groups certainly having uh, an option to deal with uh, mental health experts is a must. And so we appreciate you. And we certainly hope you will join us again on Black Doctors Speak podcast. I want to thank Dr. Hosley and Dr. Lenore for sharing their stories with us and being willing to open up about their difficult experiences. For those of you who have suffered through this or know somebody who has suffered through this, know that our hearts, our thoughts, and our prayers are with you. We have prepared a resource guide on pregnancy and infant loss for anyone who needs it or anyone who you know may need it. You can find that resource list on www.aawellnessproject.org. That's the African American Wellness Project website, as well as on the Black Doctor Speak social media. We are at Black Doctor Speak on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and at Black Doc Speak on Twitter. You can also find the link in the description of this podcast. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope that we can be part of your healing process. Remember, you are not alone. Black Doctors Speak is a weekly podcast sponsored by the African American Wellness Project, the Markel Lenore Endowment, and the Dan Weinstein Family Fund. If you enjoyed our show, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are delivered directly to you every week, as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, listening to our show is as simple as telling your Alexa, Siri, or Google to play the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Take care, everyone.